0: James chapter 1 will be in verse 22. And if you're just joining us today, James is a letter, a general epistle written by the Apostle James to a group of Christians that have been scattered, struggling, persecuted as they were. And he is writing to encourage them, to shepherd them, to rebuke them as needed, but most of all, to remind them of the greatness and glory of Jesus and how Jesus would have them live in this world. And so today, (coughs) we pick up right where we left off, and I mean that in two ways. Number one, uh, sequentially, it is the next passage, but also, let me call your attention to the first word in verse 22. He says, but be doers of the word. And so this, of course, is a connecting word that shows us he is building upon the foundation of last week when he talked about receiving with meekness the implanted word. And this, of course, is Holy Scripture that he's talking about. (laughs) And the way that James lays out his argument today, uh, for some of you, this may be my favorite sermon of yours because it only has one point. And that first point uh, comes to us right here in the first verse. He says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, (laughs) deceiving yourselves. And so the first and only point is quite simply this, to be doers of the word and not simply hearers only. Be doers of the word (coughs) and not simply (coughs) hearers only. And so what James is getting at here is he's really setting up two categories. There's a group of people that hear the scriptures and kind of nod and say, okay, great. And then there's a group of people that say that, but then they also jump headlong into a deep study of it, and then they seek to (coughs) do uh, what it says. And so he is exhorting us toward the doing category and away from the hearing only. And the way that he lays out his argument from there is he basically gives two examples (coughs) of what it looks like to be a hearer only, talks about the folly and the danger of that, and then he gets into the final example of what it looks like to be a doer and the good things that come from being such that kind of person. So, let's dig into it. What does it mean to be a doer? And in this one, uh, Occam's razor is our friend. Uh, The most simple explanation is the correct one, and that is simply one who does what the Bible says. And (coughs) the hearer only is again, like I said, someone who simply takes it in, but they don't do what they are supposed to do with it. Uh, One example of this that I would think of in the parenting department, and even if you don't have small children, uh, you are a small child at this point. uh, Some of us still behave like small children uh, at some points. Please do not point out your neighbor. Uh, But it's true, and I think about, let's say we used to go to the zoo a lot uh, when my kids were small, and we would walk by some uh, dangerous animal enclosure. You could pick one of several. Uh, Could be the lion, could be the tiger, definitely the mountain lion. That thing was always trying to figure out how to eat my kids. Uh, Seriously, I I would always be afraid that I was like, okay, so you're telling me these tiny wires and this very small patch of shrubbery is what's gonna protect us if this thing really wants out. Okay, awesome, where do I sign up? We would walk quickly by that one. But let's say Simon, because he was usually the perpetrator, he wanted to get closer than he should, and he wanted to investigate more deeply, uh, I would say to him, Simon, don't do that, and he would look at me in many circumstances, kind of smile, and you could tell, he would think it over. But if he didn't listen, if he was simply a hearer that did not do what Dad said, well, he would have been mountain lion snack, and we would have been very sad, uh, So, we don't want to be the similar prey for the enemy, so we need to not just hear what the Bible says, but we need to do what the Bible says. (laughs) And then James gives his own analogies. Uh, He wasn't taking his people to the zoo, uh, but he used two examples that would have been very readily understandable for for them. Uh, Look at verse 23, "...for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer," so that's that other category, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and he goes away, and at once he forgets what he was like. And so, it's interesting, the, the mirrors that they would have had at this time, they would not be like the mirrors we would have today. Uh, you know, you've got mirrors, you can use your phone as a mirror, mirrors in your car, mirrors in your house, mirrors in your, uh, everywhere. But back then, they had <coughs> pieces of highly polished metal, bronze Uh, silver, possibly even gold, (coughs) and they were able to give you a representation of what you looked like. wasn't as good as what we have today, but would certainly do the job. And so he was saying that (coughs) someone who hears the word but does not do what it says is like a person who takes full survey of themselves and then immediately somehow gets some kind of amnesia as they're walking away and they don't remember at all what they look like. So James's audience would have definitely said, hmm, yeah, that's a farce. I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be that girl. I want to be the person who, when I look at myself, whatever I'm fixing on my face or head today, I want to take that with me and I want to know what I look like. And so clearly it would have been uh, a negative uh, return for them and they would have said, we don't want to be about this. But I also think this gives us an opportunity here (laughs) <laughs> to kind of key in on this uh, vibe that James is putting out in thinking about how Scripture serves as a mirror for us. And I think that happens in a couple of different ways. Number one, I think it reflects God to us, but it also reflects ourselves to us. Now, how does it reflect God to us? Well, in all the ways that you think that it would, that it shows us His character, shows us His attributes. It shows us the story of redemption, this beautiful story in four parts, creation, fall, redemption, restoration, uh, uh, or or consummation, depending on which theologian you you like to read. And within all of that (coughs) grand narrative of Scripture, it gives us all these wonderful stories that point to the greatness and the character of God, but they also give us lots of practical application to follow. And, of course, the most important thing that Scripture does for us in a mirror sense is it reflects to us the greatness and the glory of Jesus, the one who came and lived the life that we should have but could not live, who died as a substitute in our place, who gloriously rose again, and who now offers us friendship with God. And so when we look into the mirror of Scripture, we see that glorious story reflected, (coughs) Now, we also see the story of us, and I don't mean this in the NBC Highly Emotional series way. I mean the story of how we are born sinners, and then to complicate matters, we sin a whole bunch on top of that, and we find ourselves in desperate need of redemption. And of course, that story connects with the glorious narrative of the gospel because God has made a way for us to be made right with Him. And if we will turn from sin and trust in Christ and begin to follow him, those stories intersect in a glorious way. And now we have the opportunity not just to reflect the marred nature that we were born with, but the new nature that God gives us when we are in Christ, that we take on an entirely new identity and we have the peace and the purpose and the hope and we can make the impact that God wants us to make when we see ourselves in Christ and in the light of Scripture. So, Scripture serves us as a mirror (coughs) to show us who God is, what He's about, to show us ourselves and what we are about, and also to bring those two stories together. And so, I think the question then becomes, (coughs) okay, so how do we get in on using Scripture in this way, in the way that James is speaking to here, And I want to give you a different image, and I want to redeem it, because typically this image is used in a negative way, but I want to turn it in a positive way, and that is to create a house of mirrors, to create a house of mirrors. And what I mean by that is typically a house of mirrors is you go to the fair, and after you've eaten your 74 pounds of fried food and you've shortened your life significantly from arthrosclerosis or however you say that you eventually end up seeing that you can go to this place and there's all these funny mirrors and they make you look tall or short or skinny or even fatter or whatever your situation is, and it's certainly not a place that you want to stay. (coughs) But what if you could create an environment where you walked around and you used mirrors in this way, and everywhere in your life you got a little glimpse of who God is and what He's about and who you are and how much you need Him? a house of mirrors that let's say it had a really big mirror in the bedroom that you use to uh, get yourself dressed to make sure you're not an embarrassment to yourself and your family before you leave. Hopefully you got one of those somewhere. Let's call that Sunday worship where you get together and you hear the Word of God taught by the people of God, experience the presence of the Spirit of God, and you get to see God very clearly on a Sunday. But let's say you walk through the rest of your life, and let's speak proverbially here. You have a little smaller mirror. That's your community group. And there, in that environment, you're still holding up that mirror of Scripture. You're seeing God. You're seeing yourself. You're seeing these wonderful people around you that can help you on your journey. (coughs) It's another place for you to check in and see the mirror of Scripture. Let's say you also need, fellas, just walk with me on this. You need a, a compact. Your wife probably has one. And, you know, it's just a little small mirror where you can kind of check whatever else is going on that needs just a little touch-up. Let's say that's your personal devotional time that you spend with the Word. And each one of these environments provide little touch points in this house of mirrors where you can clearly see God (coughs) and clearly see yourself. And as we begin to see ourselves in the light of Scripture— we are going to be less and less like the person who looks in the mirror and walks away and forgets what he or she looks like and more like the person that James wants us to be. Someone who hears the word and who then listens to the word and who then does the word. And that's not just what James wants. That's what God wants. And deep down, if we belong to Jesus today, that is what we want. We want to be people that in the midst of all of our frailty that we know we're going to have until Jesus comes back, we are becoming more and more consistent. We're becoming more and more of a doer and not simply a hearer only. So let me ask a couple of questions here. Number one, what's the Lord saying to you right now in response to this passage? What are the areas that maybe the Holy Spirit is shining a spotlight on where it's been, if we're honest, a lot of hearing and not a lot of doing? Maybe in the area of our finances, as we've been talking in the past few weeks, we, we maybe have sensed, hey, there's some overspending here. We're not really being good stewards, not investing in the church like I want. I'm not able to give to these other organizations like I want. I need to pay attention to this and hear what God says. Maybe that's an area. Maybe it's another area of relational brokenness where you know there's something in your extended family and, and, and you can try to step in there. Not everything's going to be resolved, of course. But if there's something that we can do, maybe we need to step into that reality. Maybe it's an area of personal sin that the the Lord has been leaning on us, and there seems to be these little flares that keep popping up, gets mentioned in a sermon, somebody says it in a conversation, and you know the Lord is speaking to you and saying, hey, listen, I'm trying to call attention to this. We need to be doers here, not just hearers only. Friends, however this passage might land on us, let's be open to what the Lord would say to us, and let's pray and repent accordingly, and move in the direction that James would have us go, to be a doer of the word and not simply a hearer only. Now, that being said, let's turn our attention to verse 25, because here's what James does. It's very interesting. (laughs) A little bit different than how we uh, sometimes speak and lay out our logic in the Western mind, but James is coming at this from a different perspective, so it's more consistent with the way they would have taught and thought at that time. But he draws the contrast uh, from the example that he just saved and he uh, just said, and he said, "But so don't do this, don't be this guy. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts." He will be blessed <coughs> in his doing. And I find the word uh, that he uses here for looks into the perfect law, that, that verb there, is, is really fascinating. It's a, it's a picture of a man that is bending over a mirror on a table and looking with a studied, penetrating look. So if the first person is kind of a drive-by and then they forget, this is... You park in the parking lot, and you stop the car, and you study, and you think, and you look, and you keep on looking. You're gripped by what you see. This word is actually used twice over in John 20, verse 5, verse 11. Uh, It's used to describe what Peter did as he bent over and looked into the empty tomb, and then also Mary Magdalene as she wept and looked into the empty tomb. It is an absorbing look. And so, quite practically, that in many ways describes some of our philosophy of ministry here at Refuge when it comes to the Bible. This kind of thinking of looking intently into the perfect law, that's why we preach the way we do on Sundays. That's why we work systematically through books of the Bible. That's why we again take another pass at that same material in our community groups, because we want to look and look, and keep looking. We want an absorbing look at the Scriptures. But then beyond that, <coughs> that's why the women have a Bible study. That's why men and women have uh, thrive groups, and w- which again, we are seeking to take an intense, absorbing look at the perfect law. And it's interesting because what, what James would have been describing to them here, of course, it means the Scriptures, but they actually had even less of the Bible than we do. This would have been the Old Testament, and then the gospels uh, of, of Jesus, uh, the gospel story, the gospel narrative in Jesus' teachings. But what, what he was driving them toward is the same thing that we are driving toward today. Except I think we have, to say it negatively, we have even less of an excuse to follow what he's saying than they would have. Because we have so much more to study. We have 2,000 years of Bible teaching, much of it that we have access to through writings and now through ubiquitous podcasts and so on and so forth. And so we have so many opportunities to look intently, absorbingly at this perfect law. And my encouragement is that we take advantage of them, that we take advantage as much, uh, of as much as we can to listen to these podcasts, to, to watch helpful teaching on video, to, to make Sunday a priority, to make community group and Thrive group and Bible study part of the ethos of who we are as Christians. That's how we're going to move in this direction. <clears throat> and I'll tell you one other thing that's going to help, uh, or it helps me. I'll say it that way. Look back at how the Bible is described here. <clears throat> the law of Liberty. And it, it's sad to say that some of us have grown up in a tradition where the Bible doesn't feel like a law of liberty. It feels sometimes, particularly in the way that some of you were raised, as a book of do's and don'ts, and uh, that you you're a good Christian if you don't do these things and you do do these things. Very legalistic, moralistic understanding of Scripture. But that's just not accurate. It's not intellectually accurate. The Bible has never been historically understood that way. And it's certainly not accurate into the heart of what God was doing in giving us the Bible. Recall what we talked about just a few moments ago here, that this is the grand narrative of Scripture. This is the story, creation, fall, redemption, restoration. And on top of that, all of this practical instruction that flows out of these wonderful true stories... And they lead us toward what? Toward liberty. So, if I can take just a little bit of latitude here, the the primary focus of the Bible is not to be a manifesto of freedom, but the Bible is a manifesto of freedom. And what I mean by that is if you look at following the path of the world, where does that lead? It leads to bondage. It leads to slavery. It leads to being enshackled by everything from drugs to porn to materialism to bad relationships. If you follow the, the path of the world and what the culture has to offer us, it leads to destruction, not delight. And so when James says here, the law of liberty, <coughs> think about all the different ways that that's true. Certainly, it leads to spiritual liberation, that if we will confess our sins and trust in Jesus and transfer the leadership of our life over to Him, we will be spiritually set free. But it also means that if we will organize our finances in the way that the Bible sets us to do, then we're going to be moving toward a spiritual uh, a approach to money, being able to use it and leverage it uh, to, to help those that, that don't have very much, to support relief organizations like the ones in Ukraine that need help. That liberty to do that comes from following what the Bible teaches. Now, beyond that, I don't think anybody here in this room, and there's plenty that have ever had any kind of addiction to anything would say, yeah, that's a great way to live. No, they'd say the opposite. But what is the course that the Bible sets us on? It's a path toward freedom. That if we will come and we will give our lives to Jesus, He leads us not into destruction, but He leads us into abundant life. It's a law of liberty. And then beyond those couple of examples, you can apply this in any particular area. You want to maximize your marriage? Organize it and live in the grace of God in the way the Bible talks about it. You want to do the best you can with parenting? Same thing. Now, does it fix all those problems? It does not. We're sinners, and the world is broken. But your best shot at maximizing your returns in this life and minimizing your regret is to walk the path of the law of liberty. And let me give you this encouragement. If you still got little kids, please, for their sake, for their future, help them understand the Bible this way. Because if it all comes down to do's and don'ts, and the good kids do this, and the bad kids do this, that is not attractive. And that just makes the pathway of departure, when they're out from under your wing, that much easier. But if you show them, listen, I have looked down these other roads. I'll give you my own story here. I've looked down these other roads. I've walked these other roads to some degree. I have studied all the world religions, and this is the conclusion. This is true, and it's not just true because Mommy and Daddy said so. It's true for all these other 127 reasons, and I tried to live the other way, and I'll tell you where that ended up. You need to walk this path. This is the path to freedom. This is the law of liberty. Does it mean your kids are all going to stay on the straight and narrow? No. But I tell you what, it's the best shot. And this is what the Bible has to say about itself. It's not the law of slavery. It's not the law of bondage. It is the law of liberty. So if you did come from that kind of tradition, I'm certain that the people that taught you in that way meant well. But let's grow beyond that. Let's take that foundation and say, hey, I'm so thankful for what they gave me. But, man, look at all this that the Bible opens up into. And those do's and don'ts, they, they really are for my good. And if God has a rule, there's a reason. And it's to help and direct and to guide me into whatever life that God has for me. So believe that. Leverage that truth in your life and impress that truth on your children and your grandchildren. And you know what's gonna happen when you do? Look at the last thing that James says here. He says, he will be blessed in his doing. Now, can I promise that if you uh, do exactly what the Bible says with your money, you're gonna have this big bag and you're gonna be like, you know, have that that gun that shoots hundred dollar (laughs) bills? No, and you probably shouldn't anyway. Even that gif is kind of weird, but I digress. But I guarantee you that if you walk in the path of the law of liberty, you will be blessed. And blessing comes in a variety of forms. Sometimes it is financial, but sometimes it's also relational. Sometimes it's emotional. Sometimes it is familial. Blessing comes in a variety of forms. And so with however this shakes out in our lives, we need to receive it with gratitude, and then we need to leverage whatever God entrusts us with, whether it's money or uh, the ability to encourage other people, whatever it is that the blessing looks like in your life, let's use it for His glory and for their good. And let's think about the context in which James would have been saying this. These are people That would have been, in many ways, much like what you're seeing on TV that's going on in Ukraine. They would have been driven from their homes. Families would have been split up. They would have been struggling. They would have been wondering what exactly is going to happen. We don't even know. And yet, in the midst of that, he still gives them this encouragement. And friends, if they can hear it and receive it, we can hear it and receive it. And so in all of this talking today, the importance of Scripture, the importance of understanding it rightly and looking at it deeply, the importance of hearing it in the first place, the best thing that the Bible does is that it points us to Christ. Because even though there's a lot of good news in this passage, let me give you the best news. That Jesus Christ was the ultimate doer of the Word. He did it in every single way that it could be done. There was never a single moment that he was simply a hearer only and deceived himself. Jesus knew who he was at all times. There was never a moment that he looked at his own proverbial face and then forgot who he was. There was never a moment that he wandered and wasted time and wasted his life. He always looked intently into the law of liberty, and now He opens that law of liberty to us. He's doing it right now through His Holy Spirit illuminating this for us, and He does it by opening the path of friendship with God. And Jesus now experiences the ultimate blessing because of His faithfulness, and He now opens the path of blessing for us through His faithfulness. And so the the most important couple of questions that we can ask to wrap up this message today is number one, do you know this Jesus? Has there been that time where you recognize your own spiritual bankruptcy and that only Christ can save you? If not, in just a moment, when the rest of us take communion, you hold off, but you take Christ. You turn from your sin, trust in Christ, and then let's talk about that. And we want to help you on your new spiritual journey. For those of us who've made that turn, I think the question we need to ask ourselves here is, what is the Holy Spirit saying to me through this passage? What are those particular areas where we know that we need some extra attention in the doing department? What are those particular areas where I need to pray that the Holy Spirit would help me, that I would appropriate the grace of God in walking in obedience in these areas? What are those areas where I might need some help that's beyond just myself? Friends, whatever those areas are, I want you to know Jesus never failed. He never failed in any of those areas. And because he never failed, he will not fail you in those areas. So you can go to him with full and complete confidence that he is with you and that he is for you. And that he can help. So let's make a little space to think about those things now. And let's pray. Let's pray. Oh well, Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to be reminded of the truth of who you are and what you've done in Christ. The beauty and the value and the helpfulness of Scripture. Lord, we want to see what only you can do In these particular areas. Lord we want to see what only you can do. In all areas of our lives. And Lord we thank you for the opportunity that we have. To gather together. And to look into. The perfect law of liberty. Every Sunday. And to see who you are. And see who we are. And to see where we need your help. most, and be reminded that you're going to meet us there. Lord, we thank you for this time. In Jesus' good name, amen.